All right, Jonah chapter, uh, well, chapter one is where we're at. Uh, for those of you just joining us, let me catch you up to speed. Uh, Jonah was a prophet. He lived about 800 years before the birth of Christ. And the book opens with God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh is a wicked nation. It's in modern-day Iraq. Uh, that's geographically kind of where it's at. And uh, God called him to go preach against them because they were a wicked nation. They were in sin. But rather than go, Jonah said no. And he ran in the opposite direction. Who, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but who can identify with Jonah running in the opposite direction when God tells us to do something? The reason that he ran in the opposite direction is really the most telling. Um, we might think, well, gosh, you know, modern day Iraq, and it, and it was, you know, violent and wicked in his generation, notorious for the horrible things they would do. And we might think, well, gosh, he was afraid. Now, when we get to chapter 4, we pretty much find out that the reason he said no is because he hates the Ninevites. So it's pure, straight-up prejudice. He just says no because he dis disdains, despises the Ninevites, and he knows that if he goes as God's representative, that there's a chance that they're going to repent and God's going to have mercy on them, and he's like, no. And so he, that's why he runs. Um, so he, he's got this deep-seated hatred for these people, and you know, there's a lot in the story of Jonah that we can identify with today. Our series is entitled, Hating the People That God Loves. How's that for in your face? Hating the people that God loves. And the thing is, is that we're wrestling with the subtleties of hate and prejudice in our own lives, and we're asking the question, how do we love people when we hate so much what they do and what they stand for? And, and depending on which the, uh, side of the argument you are on, we looked at last week, there's just a lot to argue about. People are, I think, are, I've never seen our nation as divided as it is today. Uh, when I read about the Civil War and I see the division in our country back in, in the 1860s, I, I see it now in our day and age how divided we are. And what we did last week is we compared and contrasted the roots of Jonah's hate to the roots in our own culture. And what we saw was just as Jonah struggled with nationalistic and religious and ideological roots of hatred, well, what we saw was that we also struggle uh, with issues that are rooted in these same things. And so we divide over national issues like gun rights and freedom of speech. And we divide over religious issues, issues of sexuality and abortion. We divide over ideological issues, you know, Black Lives Matter and social justice and things of that nature. And... And this division and this hate, it, it also stems from much more basic roots inside our hearts. Issues of pride and jealousy and envy. We look at Cain and Abel and we see the hatred that was there. Well, whatever the cause, here's the deal. The story of Jonah it has a lot to teach us about the human heart. And, and our first point today, um, and the first several points today, actually, as we're continuing in Jonah chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 3. We're going to look at the consequences of hatred. Okay, this is where we're going to start. Uh, several consequences of hatred. If you're taking notes, you can write down the first consequence. Hatred distances us from God. It distances us from God. We read in verse 3, God has told him he's to go to Nineveh. Verse 3, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. We looked at that last week. It's the opposite direction, basically, uh, from Nineveh. He, he arose to flee to Tarshish. Here it is, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish and so he paid the fare and he went down into it, down, 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 we go away from God, it's always down, 
uh, he went down into it to go to, with them to Tarshish. Here he says again, secondly, from the presence of the Lord. Hatred distances us from God is the point here. And twice the text tells us that Jonah is fleeing from God's presence. Now, certainly we need to understand there's, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. We sang today, just a few minutes ago, not for a moment will you forsake me. And God will not forsake you. You can't separate yourself from the love of God. Romans 8, 39 tells us that no power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise and for that encouragement. But listen, understand that when we disobey God and we harbor hatred in our hearts, well, when God tells us to go to our enemy and we say no, Listen, so we, we put distance into our relationship with God when we do that. We put distance in our relationship, and this is not what God wants. James 4.8 says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, just to be clear, it doesn't say there, draw near to God, and he will save you. It doesn't say there, draw near to God, and he'll forgive you. Certainly, that's true. We need to come to God for both of those things. But what James 4 is revealing to us is that God's desire is to be near to us and it's for our benefit. If you continue through the book of James in chapter 4 and you read what are the benefits of drawing near to God, what you will find is that drawing near to God helps us to resist the devil. Drawing near to God, James 4 tells us, uh, helps us to become pure, helps us to sorrow over our sin, it helps us to speak well of others it helps us to think of eternal things. All of these things, as you continue in James 4, when the exhortation is draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, well, these are all the benefits that are listed there. But listen, at the point to where we flee from the presence of God through disobedience, in Jonah's case, through the refusing to let go of prejudice and hatred, well, then the opposite begins to happen. Rather than becoming pure, we become impure if we flee from the presence of God. Rather than sorrowing over our sin, we will focus on other people's sin, we'll anger over their sin, we'll obsess over their wrongs and over their faults. What happens when we flee from the presence of God? That's going to be our focus. When we, when we draw into the presence of God, we're, we're just going to be looking into the mirror of His Word and we're just going to be convicted and broken over our sin. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The idea is you mourn over the state of your sinful heart. If we draw away from God through disobedience, rather than speaking well of others, what's going to happen is we begin to speak evil of others. James says this in James 1, verse 20. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Think about that. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Haven't you experienced that in your own life? Where, you know, the Bible tells us the fruit of the, the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and all of these, the, these things are the fruit of being, the, being filled with the Spirit of God. And, and, and what happens when I resist God, when I'm disobedient to God, when I distance myself from God and I start to fuel the fires of anger in my own heart, it doesn't produce these things in my life. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. I think about Peter. 
you get to the end of John's gospel and Jesus has, has risen from the dead and, and, and there they are, he's appeared to the disciples and, 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 you know, it's right after, you know, Peter got all discouraged and he says, you know, I'm going back to fishing and everything. And Jesus shows up and he's got everything that Peter was ever looking for. You know, he, he Peter, you know, apparently wasn't a great fisherman because we read so often they fish all night, they catch nothing. There's another occasion, fishes all night and he catches nothing. You should have seen the one that got away, but he caught nothing. And, uh, and so then the Lord's speaking to him, you know, there, there, you know, John's like, oh, check it out, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps in and swims there, and Jesus has got everything he was looking for. He's got fish, and it's cooked, and he's serving up the meal. And then he goes on, he's, try, he's reinstating Peter, and basically he's telling Peter about all that he's going to suffer for following after the Lord. And even then, there's this rivalry between Peter and John, and Peter just can't help himself. He looks at John, he's like, well, what about him? And I love Jesus' answer. If I could paraphrase it, he says, it's none of your business what I do for him. And I think sometimes God would say that to us. We distance ourselves from the Lord in terms of fellowship because we harden our hearts and we want to be angry with this person or hate this person and we stoke those fires and we're like, what about that guy? And the Lord in his love will just tell us, none of you. None of your business, you know? You follow me. You want to know about that guy? It's, the answer is none yet, all right? It ain't none your business. So, so this is the thing, is that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Well, the second thing we see here about distancing ourselves from God and holding on to and stoking those fires of hatred, second point, hatred damages our proclamation of God. When we, when we harbor hatred in our heart and when we're disobedience to God, it damages our proclamation of God. We continue, verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind to the sea. Now, um, you know, God has been called the hound of heaven, okay? You, you, when, when you are God's, when you have given your life to the Lord, you can run from Him and you will be the poorer for it. But the Lord is going to, He's going to hunt you down, baby. All right, and so here we have the Lord going after Jonah. He's saying, listen, I love you too much to let you go in this direction without a fight. And I love the Ninevites who I want you to go to too much to let them go without a fight. And so the Lord sends out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up and then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to, to lighten the load. Now, hold that thought and just give me your attention for a minute. Think about this. These are seasoned sailors, okay? These guys, this is what they do for a living. I was showing Brenda a, a, a clip on YouTube, and it was a 200-foot uh, container ship. Might have even been longer than that. Might have been 300 feet in length. This thing was just ginormous. And, and all of these containers, and they're going through these incredible rough seas such that water is actually coming up and hitting the windows of the bridge. And there are containers that are breaking loose and falling into the ocean. And I show Brenda this. I'm like, check this out. She goes, I would be crying if I were on that ship. And that's exactly what these guys are doing here as we read this. They're, they're crying. They're, they're crying out. And, and they're stressing out. Now, what I want you to see is who they're crying out to. Every man cried out to his God. Listen, everybody worships something. 
I don't care who you are, everybody worships something or someone. Some people worship Jesus, the true and living God. Some people worship Buddha. Some people worship Muhammad. Some people worship money. Some people worship power. Some people worship sex. Everyone worships, worships something or someone. And when everything starts to fail in your life, what's going to happen, whatever you worship, that's the thing that you're going to cry out to. Whatever it is that you worship, that's what you will cry out to. I remember very early, uh, as a young adult, very early in my marriage, I was raised to know the Lord, and, and, uh, and I walked away from Him as a teenager, as, as so many people have done. And, um, and I was just starting to come back to the Lord, but I, but I was a man who, who struggled with a lot of things, and, and I had these different idols in my life. And for me, the idol in my life that I struggled with the most was money. Money for me was that idol. Money was the thing that was going to solve all of my problems. And so here I am, I'm a young husband, young father, and I'm, I'm, I'm working in a, in a field, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in an occupation that has tons of overtime available. So I got lots of fuel sources to, to, to you know, worship my idol. So, so what am I doing because I'm looking to money to be my, my functional savior, my idol? I'm working a ton of overtime. And then I take another job, a second job. So I'm not only am I working overtime in the first job, but I got a second job. And it's all of this stuff just to fuel this thing that I worshiped, which was money, which really, it was deeper than that because money for me represented security. It represented control. And so, so this was the thing that I did. Well, when that failed me, and by the way, your idols will always fail you. They will always leave you hanging. Um, and so when it failed me, like these sailors, I turned to God, crying out uh, to the Lord. And I did something then that I don't recommend, and maybe you've, you've heard me tell the story, but I just grabbed the Bible and I just flipped it open and I said, God, speak to me. And I just stuck my finger down. Well, in his providence and in his grace, I stuck my finger on Isaiah 46. In Isaiah 46 there, the focus is on Bel and Nebo. These are the idols of Babylon. And here's what Isaiah says about these gods, speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says this, Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 2, Both the idols and their owners are bowed down. The gods cannot protect the people, and the people cannot protect the gods. <laughs> That right there, I mean, that's tattoo worthy right there. <laughs> gods can't protect the people and the people can't protect the God. They go off into captivity together. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob's, all, Jacob, all you who remain in Israel, I have carried you. This is God speaking. Maybe some of you need to hear this today. God says, I have carried you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you. I will care for you. And I will uh, carry you along and save you. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and their gold and they hire a craftsman to make a God from it and they bow down and they worship it and then they carry it around on their shoulders and when they set it down, there it stays. It, it, it can't even move. And when someone prays to it, there is no answer. It can't rescue anyone from their trouble. Do not forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. 
Thank you, Jesus. And that's what I read at this moment of despair where I'm crying out to God this one night, bills piled up, stress up to here, completely sinking ship. And God says, hey, I'm God. Your checkbook isn't God. It'll never be God. It's always going to leave you wanting. And what God did for me in that hour is he revealed himself to me in his word. But leading up to that, and here's my point. Leading up to that point, listen, I had been the beneficiary of the proclamation of God through faithful witnesses that were in my life. In other words, there were godly men in my life who were faithful to let their light so shine before men, before me, that I would see their good works and glorify their their father in heaven, my father in heaven. And so what happened was I had these guys and because I had such godly men in my life who faithfully proclaimed Jesus to me, then when my idol inevitably failed me, I turned to the God that they proclaimed. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the the point here is that hatred damages our proclamation of God. And Jonah is not shining his light as he should be shining it in such a way that when these guys' idol fails them, when they're faced with the storms of life and and there they are, Jonah is not shining his light as he should. Right now, Jonah is supposed to be that kind of a witness to these men. Paul said this to the Philippians in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 15. He said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse, of a, of a crooked and a perverse generation. Here's the point. He says, look, you're living among children of a perverse and a crooked generation among whom, listen to what he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. He said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Well, right now what's happening, because of his hatred for Nineveh, Jonah's not shining his light, he's sleeping. He's sleeping. And this brings up our third point, the third consequence of harboring hatred and being disobedient to the Lord. Hatred deadens our sensitivity to God. That's our third point. Hatred deadens our sensitivity to God. We're in Jonah chapter 1. Continuing in verse 5, the mariners afraid, every man cried out to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Listen, but Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Verse 6, so the captain came to him and he said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Listen, hatred deadens our sensitivity to God. The world is like this ship. People are like these sailors, and Jonah is like so many Christians. 
He's sleeping while the world is in a storm. And, and, and the thing that this captain says to him is the same commandment that is given to him in verse 2. He says, arise. This is what God said to Jonah from the very beginning. Get up, man, arise. I need you to go to, to, to Nineveh. Well, here he is sleeping. The captain says to him, hey, arise. He says the exact same thing. See, God is not going to let Jonah, and by the way, he's not going to let you, get away from his commandment to love the world. And, and Jonah, he, listen, he might be settled right now with his decision uh, to, to hold on to his hatred of the Ninevites. He, he might be completely settled with that decision. And, and he might even be settled with, with being separated from God. And he might even be able to be able to sleep at night. You know, sometimes you're like, how do you sleep with yourself? And people go, man, I sleep just fine. And recently I went through a situation, and I will not and can't get into all the details, but it was a situation where some guys that were in a position of authority at a church were making some decisions, and I, and I, and I was calling them on what they're doing. I said, what you're doing is unbiblical. How do you sleep at night? And the one guy looks me dead in the eye, and he says, I sleep fine. I'm like, well, you're in good company. Jonah slept fine too. And, and, and so here he is, he, you know, he's done all these things and, he, and he's able even to sleep. But listen, God's not cool with any of it. He is absolutely not down with it. And in the epistles, listen, Paul talks to churches about what the Christian walk is supposed to look like. And he says that we're supposed to walk in love and in unity. And he says we're so, supposed to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, toward unbelievers. We're supposed to walk in wisdom toward them, not away from them, not hating them, not going down to Joppa. No, we're to walk towards them. And, and in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, Paul's painting a picture there of what it looks like when we don't walk like that. And, 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 and when we, like Jonah when we're dominated by bitterness and wrath and anger. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, listen, what ends up happening, Paul says the exact same thing to Christians who are acting like that. He says the exact same thing that God said to Jonah in verse 2 and that this captain now says to Jonah in verse 6. Paul says, hey, look, you're going to be a Christian who's behaving like that? Ephesians 5, 14, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He says then, he follows up next verse, see then, <coughs> see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You see, what we see here, going on with Jonah, is really just the logical outworking of verse 3. Because what happens in verse 3 is that Jonah flees from God's presence. And so all of this that's transpiring, it's just the logical outworking of that. That having fleed from God's presence, <clears throat> well now he's sleeping when he should be seeing what his sin is causing. How about you today? Are you sleeping when you should be seeing what your sin is causing? Because here's the truth. We need to understand that unbridled hatred for others, inevitably it's going to hurt the people around us. Jonah's unbridled hatred for the Ninevites is, 
is threatening to bring harm on these sailors, on these mariners, on these people that are on the ship with him. Listen, your family's on the ship with you. And what you're going you're gonna to find is that you, if you harbor unbridled hatred for other people, it's going to hurt the people that are around you. It's going to rob you of your joy. It's going to rob your household of peace. And frankly, it's going to be toxic to your soul. Why is that? St. Augustine said this. He said, you have made us for yourself, in, speaking in a prayer to God, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. See, we were made by God, our creator, for relationship. That's the thing. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Christ, until we have that relationship with Him. And, and God has wired us to crave this emotionally. Someone else has said there's a God-shaped void in all of us. And, and, and we're restless until that void is filled by God Himself. And, and what happens is that our, not only is that true, but our capacity to love other people is dependent upon this. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we read there that we love each other because God first loved us. The word that's used there is agape. This capacity to love unconditionally, it comes from the receiving of an unconditional love from God. This is what we receive in God. This is our capacity to love in this way. Well, <clears throat> what happens here, Jonah's running from the presence of God. He's refusing to love in this way. And so it's going to cause problems in his soul, in his life, and to the people around him. That's exactly what we are seeing here. And so what does this captain do? He shows up and he says to this guy, wake up, man. Wake up. Because we're all about to die Someone needs to cry out to their God, and I think maybe you need to cry out to yours, and maybe we can be saved here. And, and I, again, I just say to you, do you need to wake up today? Maybe this is a wake-up call for you. See, because here's the thing. We, we need to understand. We need to take a walk with, am I unconscious to what hatred is causing in my life and in the life of the people that are on my ship? Do I need to wake up to what God wants to do through me? Here's a true story, and, and maybe this will blow your mind. It did the first time I ever heard it. So, so Reliance Church, we're, we're 10 years old, and, and we're a Calvary Chapel. Some of you might not know that. I actually had an elder recently who didn't know that we were a Calvary Chapel. <laughs> we're a Calvary Chapel. We've always been one. When Calvary Chapel started, it started with a guy named Chuck Smith. And everybody sees Chuck Smith in this light, that there was this move in the 60s and, and, it, and this movement that happened, um, it, it was called the Jesus Movement. And, and the Jesus Movement, this famous worldwide event, and Chuck Smith is credited with this revival that took place, that, that he was the guy that sensed all this. Now here's Chuck's own admission he didn't look at the hippies of his day with love in his heart. He looked at the hippies in his day with disdain for them in his heart. He says his attitude was, why don't you get a haircut? Why don't you take a bath? And why don't you get a job? 
That's from his own lips. He, he, he admits that. Do you know who had the burden for, for the, the hippies? It was his wife, Kay. She's the one who had the burden for the hippies. And, and so it was her love and her burden for the people in her day, for these kids whose lives were blowing up that resulted in the actions that were taken, which would become a worldwide event, a worldwide movement, where to this day, hundreds of thousands of people have come into the saving faith of Jesus Christ and have the hope of eternal life. Over 6,000 Calvary chapels having since been born worldwide, where, where God's word is being proclaimed and people are coming to faith every single day. In Jesus, thank you, Lord. But it didn't come from the love that Chuck had in his heart to start with. No, it came from his wife. See, he had to come around to this idea. Chuck had to wake up to what God wanted to do in the lives of the people that he disdained. Take a walk with that. Because maybe you disdain people. Maybe the word, hey, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Listen, that's something that we got to take a walk with because if we disdain people and if our attitude is, hey, I'm, you know what? I have a disdain for homosexuals. I have a disdain for Democrats. I have a disdain for Hillary supporters or for Trump supporters or whatever it is. And if we harbor that attitude and we think, well, whatever. I mean, you know, grow up, get a, get a job, take a bath, get a haircut for crying out loud. You know, we might think, well, that's, that's just normal. That's reasonable. No, it's not loving. Now, it's not to say, hey, it's totally cool that you've, you know, that you've dropped out and you're dropping acid and that your life is going down the... T- no, we have to love people enough to go to them. That's the whole picture here. God says, I love Nineveh. They're, I, I don't love what they're doing, but I love them. We live in a generation, we live in a culture, we live in a day and age, and you look around the people that make you so mad and make you want to yell at your computer, and if you're me, you actually do... And God says, I love them. And I want you to go to them in love. John says this, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And listen, as we continue, Jonah does exactly that. He confesses his sin and he takes responsibility. And this is the fourth and final point today, which is this, confession brings deliverance. Our first three points are all the things that sin and hatred does to distance us from God and the consequences of that. But this fourth and final thing we see in this text, confession brings deliverance. Jonah chapter 1, we continue verse 7. And they said, these mariners, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Here's the idea. Everybody grab a stick. Whoever gets the short stick, that's who's, that's who's caused this problem kind of deal. It's, it's sort of like that. 
And so Jonah pulls the short stick, so to speak, and they say to him, wait a minute, please tell us, they say to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What's your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? Now remember, they're on a ship that's getting tossed and fro and getting ready to sink. And what I envision is they're all circling him and they're all asking a different question. Like this is just a a barrage of one guy saying, what's your occupation? Another guy, where do you come from? And where, you know, what's your country? What people are you? And so on. And so verse nine, he says to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Well, not not right now you don't. Right now you're rubbing the sleep out of your eyes because you were absolutely totally at peace at doing whatever you're doing. No, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew (coughs) that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You know it's a bad state of affairs when you tell people what you've done and non-believers are shocked by what you've done. You're in a pretty bad way when they're like, how could you have done that? You're like, well, I was sleeping pretty good actually. What shall, and then they said to him, verse 11, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us for the sea was growing more tempestuous? And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and then the sea will become calm for you for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land but they could not for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. See, again, even, even still, I mean, he's just told them, it's all because of me, just throw me in, you guys will be fine. They're still trying to save this loser's life for crying out loud. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, <clears throat> and they said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you, And so they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Praise you, Jesus. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they took vows. And so God works all things together for the good and even in Jonah's disobedience, these men come to saving faith in the Lord. They they offer vows to to God and so on. So, So thank you, Lord, he's good. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now here's the deal. There's a lot of debate about what happened to Jonah in going into this fish. We call it a whale. We don't know if it's a whale. Could have been a fish, whatever, just, you know, whatever. There are actually documented cases there's, uh, of guys that, that were eaten by whales, that, you know, whalers who, who were eaten by a whale, and, and they later caught the whale, cut it open, and the guy was alive in its stomach. And, and we're talking like days later. So, so there are documented cases that a, that actually happens, but some people think, no, what happened to Jonah is he actually died. And that he died, just as Jesus died and was in the belly of the earth for three days, and he used Jonah as an example. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, son of man is going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. And so some people think he actually died and that God resurrected him from the dead. And to God, it doesn't make a difference. He could he'd do whatever. I mean, he made him out of dirt, for crying out loud. Like, he could, he could do whatever he wanted. 
made the sun, moon, and stars, just spoke them into existence. So God could do either one. It doesn't necessarily think, well, we're going to find out in verse 2 that he cries out from the belly of the fish. So, so, I, so you know, it's not conclusive that he didn't die in the fish because he could have cried out and then died and then was resurrected. But he cries out from the belly of the fish and cries for, for salvation. So, I don't know, I kind of probably have the mindset that he was alive in the belly of the fish. That's not even the point of the story. Here's the point. The point, this idea, Jonah thinks this is the end. He's got this fatalistic mindset, this fatalistic attitude. And his fatalistic attitude is, hey, you know what, just toss me overboard. You guys will be fine. But it's still this attitude that can you, this hatred is right below the surface. There's still this disobedience. It's still sort of, he, he acknowledges, look, this is all my fault. This is all my fault. But, but man, you know, there he is. He's like, oh, the, I guess I'll just die because it's all my fault. It's kind of like Peter. You know what? I guess I'll go just go back fishing. I failed the Lord and I'll just go back fishing. Look, Jonah has no idea that what God is about to do in his life will forever define who people think of when they hear the name Jonah. Who do you think of when you hear the name Jonah? You think of the guy that was in the belly of the fish that, that survived and, and was delivered to Nineveh to be the prophet of God and his servant in Nineveh. And, 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 and Jonah's got no idea what God is about to do that this is going to forever define who he is. See, the chapter ends with deliverance, both for the unsaved mariners and for Jonah. Let me ask you a question as we close. Do you need deliverance today? Are you maybe like these mariners? Maybe, you know, you, you found it, your life today into, in a storm, and maybe the gods that you've trusted in have proven to be worthless, Maybe today is kind of your sort of similar experience that I had when I was crying out to the Lord, going, God, everything I'm trusting in, it's all letting me down. Maybe you're in that place today. Or maybe you're like Jonah today. Maybe your place is that your heart has been hardened by hatred. Maybe today you've been sleeping when you should be seeing what your sin is causing. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.